One, two, ten. Welcome to the Claim to Throne Blodgecast, coming on you with insights into what it's really like to be in a do-it-yourself metal band in 2014. Who is it? You're listening to the Claim the Throne Blodgecast. Thanks for tuning in for another week. It has been quite a uh, long time from stumps, and uh, you are listening to Cabba. And my friend, Ash. How you going, Ash? Hey, Kaba. How you doing? I'm pretty good and happy to be recording another podcast again. Um, for those who haven't heard us before, we are Claim the Throne from Perth, Australia, folk, uh, melodic, death, metal sort of band. And um, yeah, we do do lots of things and we talk about them on this show, as well as all sorts of dumb stuff uh, and good stuff and just general stuff. Um, what would you reckon, Ash, if I just start off by giving ourselves a little gig plunge? Please do. All right. Our next show in Perth, and in fact, our last show for this year, is coming up very soon on November 7th. It is for a a CD launch for a compilation CD featuring many awesome Aussie bands. Um, And yeah, it is a Stormrider compilation CD launch at at, uh, the Civic Hotel in Inglewood, Beaufort Street, on the 7th of November with ourselves, Claim the Throne, uh, Silent Night, who are also releasing their Power Metal Supreme EP, which is very awesome. You can get online and have a listen to a few of those things. So search for Silent Night and you will be able to hear that. Uh, And also Cold Fate, uh, Paul Descurney, Strutting His Stuff, Tempest Rising and Drown the Faith. Um, And yeah, get along. It's cheap entry, I think only about 10 bucks. And you'll score yourself a free compilation CD as well, which has ourselves, our song Zephyrus on track one. And uh, also heaps of other awesome bands, including Silent Night, Cold Fate, uh, Arthur Fenrir, Red Descending, who, happy to say, uh, Claim the Thrones drummer Ash, who you will hear in a second, is now in that band. So he'll, um, yeah, be be on that CD. Actually, he won't be, but the band will be. And you can see his band very soon as well at the Civic, which I can't remember the date. 28th or something? November 28th, Ash? If it's a Friday, 28th. Cool. Sounds about right to me. Red Ascending headlining that one um, with a bunch of bands. I think uh, Let's Kill Uncle and some bands, which we'll plug again uh, maybe next week. Or hopefully if we keep these podcasts happening. Is uh, anything new? I know you had today off. You in playing around with some pedal manufacturing? Been a bit sick post-Asian tour. And uh, yeah, I had the day off today and I just sort of potted around the house and tried to relax. One of the things I do is called pedal making. So... Yeah, uh, put together a DIY uh, rat clone for my friend Luke Barker, and yeah. Luke from the Berserker. I. It actually works, which is pretty cool because uh, some of the stuff was so fiddly, it was it was a hard hard process, man. Yeah, right. What is involved? Like, um, do you need your little tools? Yeah, just soldering iron yep. and solder. But yeah, basically, you're just following a jigsaw puzzle or a paint by numbers you know like you have to figure out sort of which resistor or capacitor is which but then after that the pants your mama laid out for you and um yeah you just put it in one by one one by one and yeah you just go for it man um i'm just going to be picturing immortal faces in my head now for the rest of this podcast which is not a bad thing by any means yeah apart from that i stitched up the rhythm guitars for stitches suffering rot yesterday so even some solos as well, um, which is pretty cool. So almost finished tracking those guys finally. And you're going to do a bit with the guitar sound from here, you reckon? Yeah, I'll probably borrow a Kemper off my friend Kaba and um, oh, yeah. do some reamping one weekend. And yeah, 
but that'll happen during mixing. So yeah, pretty cool. Also got a few people out there inquiring about some more recordings. So yeah, maybe I'll be doing some more of that. Yeah, cool. And also did some guitar teaching today. So there you go. Did you teach any um, sweeps? No, I didn't. I taught a, a B minor chord to a seven-year-old. Oh, yeah. What have you been doing? What have I been doing? Since, since Asia. Since mm. Asia. Well, how long has it been? A few days. Had two days back at work and then it was the weekend, which was good to ease back into it. Just caught up on heaps of sleep over the weekend and did a lot of shits. <laughs> and that's my rhyme and that's what I said. And I have uh, yeah been working a bit on another tour that we have coming up that we will probably talk about in the coming weeks again. Uh, if you want to be really nosy, you could go back and listen to episode 25 of the Claim the Throne blogcast at www.claimthethrone.net and uh, you'll hear a bit more about that. And um, yeah, but we'll be announcing that very soon. Pretty keen to get back out on the road because I had a pretty sick time in Asia. Don't know about you. So with, without um, any further Adolf... Let's um, talk about today, the Asian tour that we've just got back from. Maybe no no segments or anything. Let's just maybe go um, talk just a bit bit about, run you guys through it. You can um, pretend you were there. So find yourself a comfy place, chill back, get a peppermint tea, take off your pants and uh, teleport to a place with Claim the Throne going to Asia on the Fortune Asia Tour. Um, it was... Uh, six shows over a couple of weeks. Well, it was supposed to be six. We'll get to that very soon. Um, and it had uh, it was headlined by Katamenia from Finland, uh, who were the headliner. Um, there was ourselves, obviously, uh, Ethereal Sin from Japan, Dark Mirror of Tragedy from South Korea, and a bunch of um, pretty awesome local bands that we got to check out as well. Um, yeah. Is that what it was? Exactly right. What about talking about how we even got this tour? Because I know in the past we've um, we've discussed all the crazy buy-on situations going on in Asia at the moment, specifically for Australian bands who are paying a lot of money to go over there. Um, yeah, I mean, if yeah, going through certain companies or whatever as a support act for perhaps another international band over there, you might do two, three, four shows, um, and you're looking anywhere upwards from five thousand euros just to to get on the lineup. Plus, of course, you've got to pay for your flights and your accommodation and your bus and your food and everything. Um, so pretty happy we haven't gone down that route. Uh, Me too. Which is good. And I think, yeah, you see, number one tip from there, just bide your time. Be patient. Make sure it's the right time for you guys to go. And, um, yeah, make the most of it when opportunity comes your way. We are a lucky bunch having a guy like Dicey Dyson in our band because he is king of networking. He has the Kavorka, especially when it comes to Asian people, I think. Um, and he knew a guy called Yama from Ethereal Sin, um, who he's been talking to for quite a number of years um, and, yeah, just sort of became friends through that way and um, talking about, all, you know, our own band and, and other bands and possibilities of, of touring over there. Um, and we had a bit of, um, help with some distro, um, through a guy from Red Rivet Records as well in Japan. Um, so started to yeah, just get a little bit of, um, of exposure over there and slowly build it up over some time. Um, and then Yama sort of kept an eye on things for us as well. Um, so him and the guys from Dark Mirror of Tragedy, I believe helped to set up this tour along with the promoter in Japan. Um, who arranged for Katamania to get on board as well. Um, and, yeah, and being that Yama was in touch with us a fair bit, um, yeah, he kept us in the loop with this particular one and, 
and yeah we're lucky enough to have an awesome guy like that to help us out and get us on board with no buy-on happy to say um but yeah when when you have a tour like that you can't expect payments either so not getting paid for the shows and you do have to pay for all your expenses like flights and uh com and and whatever and yama just to let you know is the singer of ethereal sin I hope you can't hear fucking cashews in my voice. <laughs> Just because we have Dyson in the band, <clears throat> it doesn't mean it was some magical sort of behind the scenes thing. It was about the same as traveling through Melbourne, let's say, and meeting, um, traveling through Melbourne and meeting Will Borland from Death Audio and creating a relationship <laughs> with him. You know, like yeah. he was abroad at a gig in Asia, saw Ethereal Sin play, started chatting to Yama, thought they were cool, and they just hit it off. So. Yeah, it's really a band-to-band connection through two of its members, and here we are. Exactly, and I mean, even look at Ethereal Sin, they, you know, they've just pretty much arranged the two of themselves. They haven't needed to rely on having a special person in the band who knows everyone and does everything. They've just sort of been that proactive sort of outlook and got it happening. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're doing that ourselves as well uh, next year, which will be announced soon, um, which... Yeah, we're just just all about hard work and that sort of stuff. And very much about the same kind of networking, you know. Totally. Yeah, you just meet people from bands and try and do gigs together. If they're across the world, it, it like, you know, you can't just drive around to your local Murray Street and be at Japan. You have to fly and book accommodation. But, you know, with the internet these days, it's pretty easy to break down those sort of barriers. And, yeah, it just turns out being like... Uh, a glorified local gig really yeah essentially the internet is awesome in that regard um but just one thing as well i mean you can get these sorts of opportunities but you have to be able to to make the most of them when they come around you don't want to be doing this stuff before you're ready you know don't rush into this stuff because then you're going to go over there and make yourselves look like shit and if anything tarnish your reputation so make sure it's the right time for you and you have to be able to stand your own um you know against other awesome bands that that would be sharing the tour with you um so yeah, use the internet, meet people, travel, talk to people. One cool thing when you go to um, other cities, go to the Metal Travel Guide website, which I always try to do, and find out what bars um, or venues or anything are in that city that you're currently in. Um, head over there. Not only will you get awesome music and generally cheap drinks, um, there's lots of metalheads around to chat to and you know, just takes a few questions to find out what the scene's like in that particular city. And uh, yeah. Get, get your networking underway and get drunk. So as you were mentioning, Kuala Lumpur, we arrived. Um, first stop was Seoul in South Korea. You cannot fly directly there from Perth, unfortunately. So stop over in KL. That's cool. We ate Burger King and uh, Popeye's chicken and saw a wrestler. Oh, yeah. mm. Who was that? I don't know. We saw some guy who fights for a living. I recognize him, but <laughs> I can't remember his name. But he... Uh, is a mean-looking man who's quite small but scary-looking. Russell Crowe? Uh, Russell Crowe. Ah, okay. Cool. And then, uh, yeah, so then we only had a couple hours stopover, which is good, and um, straight over to Seoul in South Korea. We arrived pretty early in the morning and were pretty stoked to walk out of the uh, customs and be greeted by a couple of locals, uh, Mr. Shin, who's the promoter of Hellride Festival that we're playing over there, and uh, his mate, Mr. Ho, as they became known. Um, yeah, met us over there, showed us how to get the train. We're 
amazingly hospital. You wouldn't even believe it. Amazing hospital. Hospital. Hospitable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, booked our train tickets, which we would have struggled to do with all the crazy characters um, and letters. So, And then, yeah, they paid for it. It was awesome. Showed us uh, how to get to Hongdae, where we were staying and where the gig was. Uh, carried all our stuff for us. Wouldn't even let us try and help. Um, just those sort of guys. Uh, Super good individuals. Very good. And, um, yeah, so we did get to a hotel a bit early to check in. So they took us out to lunch. Some crazy uh, traditional little Korean place in the heart of Hongdae where um, the tables were very low. You sit on the floor, cross-legged, take your shoes off before you go in, get chopsticks ready. Metal chopsticks. chow down. Metal chops. That's where we were introduced to the beverage known as soju, which is mm. like a, explained to us to be a plum vodka, but rather similar to sake in that it's uh, maybe 20% or thereabouts and you shoot it while you're eating with chopsticks. Yeah, it just comes in like little, what looks like, you know, beer bottles almost. Um, to me, it tastes like vodka with water and tequila or something all mixed together. Mm. I found it but, hard to drink, sort of, but also very easy to drink. It's weird. I was fine for a couple of days and then after getting particularly maggot off it one time, just the smell of it was making me a bit fucky yeah after a bit but anyway that was good so at a dollar fifty there a bottle for, yeah there you go everything there's super cheap well for us thriving aussies anyway um but yeah it was only a couple of hours we were there and already pretty pished off drinking that stuff and their local brew cass um but yeah had some wicked food um and from there of course had many many korean barbecue so we did get there four days early before the first gig um just to chill out and get over any jet lag we might have had um yeah so korean barbecues pretty good if you haven't been check it out where they've got the little hot plate on the table and cook your own stuff yeah so lots of kimchi but also a fair bit of um taco bell and chicken chicken <laughs> skewer uh, street Dunkin street donuts. food, shit loads of Dunkin' Donuts, which was right at the bottom of our <laughs> hotel. Also, um, many, many hot dogs, dog cafes, more and more traditional Korean food with uh, Dark Mirror Tragedy and uh, eventually Ethereal Sin, meeting those guys. And yeah, just basically had a ball before our show in Busan, which was uh, inevitably cancelled, which was not a good start to the tour. Um, we freaked out a bit. One of the Dark Mirror guys came to meet us at our hotel, which was hell nice of him, of course, to come and see us. And he was um, yeah, pretty concerned because his first show got cancelled. We actually seemed to think that he meant the whole tour was cancelled, but that wasn't the case. Something happened with someone stealing money of some sort that was meant to be used for buying Catamania's flights to get over there. Did a runner. So Catamania had no flights and would not be there in time. So someone else has had to fork out a bit of extra money to get their flights and get them there in time for the second show in Seoul. But yeah, no, nonetheless, that was not the worst thing in the world because we were already in Seoul anyway. It would have meant a particularly extra bit of travel on the trains and stuff, which of course is not bad, but we're already there. So yeah, extra day off, um, got drunk, slept in some trash. <laughs> uh, it was really, really awesome hanging out with Dark Mirror of Tragedy guys um, who were just, yeah, super helpful and super nice. Could not have really wished to meet better people throughout the whole trip, actually. Every single city we treated it very nicely. Yeah, and, you know, people paying for our food and paying for our trains and paying for our comms sometimes. So Paying for our dog awesome. treats. We went to a dog cafe in Seoul and Mr. Shin from Hellride was so nice that he wouldn't even let us buy the own our own treats to give to the dogs 
if you don't know what a dog cafe is, Google it. But essentially, get drunk in a cafe with and dogs. Pat dogs. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, Your first show, Hell Ride Festival, Hell Ride. We arrived. The venue was pretty awesome, V Hall in Hongdae, um, and did start to realise that there's a lot of sound checking over there. Mm. They have like you get your worksheet and and you've got your sound check time and your set time, which is pretty cool to be organised and everything. Um, what do you reckon about sound checking before every single show? Is it annoying or good? Well, you're not really painting the full picture because it sounds normal, right? A band does a sound check, but in actual fact, what was happening is every band had a sound check. So we went up there, we sound checked, maybe we played probably two full songs plus the normal run of the mill line checks and everything. And um, yeah, then got off stage and the next band went up and yeah, so sound check went for like four hours or something with every band and usually that's reserved for the headliner and then probably the opening band as well just because they happen to be on stage first so that was interesting um a few things that just straight off the bat i have remembered is that we quickly realized that we weren't equipped properly with the power converters Mm. so i had bought a trigger module with the european power socket which is what korea uses cabba's Cabo was organized and had one, but it had broken. So I let him use mine and figured I'll run without triggers because guess what? One of the dudes there set up his kit and triggered every drum on the kit and ran. He was just there running triggers all day for the festival. It was really weird. So like it or not, you were, you were triggered up and it was a really bizarre, like everything was tuned super tight and there were some symbols you just couldn't move. They were just locked in place and... It's pretty crazy. So, you know, I played on like a thousand drum kits, so I don't really care too much. But for those guys out there who, you know, have to have everything pretty right, man, I tell you, it's um, it's a wild turnout when you have to use everything of someone else's like no ifs or buts. That's pretty crazy. Um, so what stuff did you bring with you? I brought my pedals. I didn't bring a snare uh, based on... Based mostly on the advice of Louis from a previous podcast, check it out. Yeah, I just decided to run with whatever snare they had at the venue and just deal with it. That really helped because I had an extra hand to help other people carry stuff and also extra check-in luggage space. I brought my triggers, my module and my leads and shit. Didn't use them once on the whole tour. Used pedals and my cymbals. And in some cases, I only used a few of my cymbals. The other drummers from the other bands they brought their pedals i think maybe one of them had a snare maybe both don't know and they weren't bringing their whole symbols they were just bringing let's say a splash they like to use or a china Mm -hmm. but every venue on the tour as we went on i realized just had a house kit and no one brings their kits to gigs in these places very very strange but also very cool well i mean they have really short changeover times over there i've noticed as opposed to here where sometimes you can have half an hour between bands there you're looking at five ten minute changeover so there's definitely no time to be changing drum kits around so at the very least you'd think maybe one band would bring a kit and everyone borrows it um but yeah interesting to not even have to take one the each venue had cymbals pedals and a drum kit and a drum stool isn't that crazy <laughs> yeah how was the drum stool in penang um we'll get to that but <laughs> yeah just from an on-stage perspective, the, you know, the monitors and everything, man, 
career kicked ass for all that. I felt really comfortable on stage, played a, a setup that was a lot different from my normal one, but I don't know, it just all worked and I felt at home. So cool. Well done, Korea. That was awesome. Tip one, find out what uh, power adapters you need in other countries and get them before you leave and take spare ones and just to have a lot of them around with uh, extension cords perhaps and power boards. Um, Because, yeah, if you're trying to buy them over there, if you get to a show and go, shit, I don't have the right adapter for this country, you're screwed. Um, the venues often don't really have them lying around and you can pretty much only get them at airports where they're more expensive. I didn't, it was really hard to find them in like electronic stores and stuff. Um, so yeah, make sure you have a lot of them and a pen for the plane. Yeah. But in terms of guitars for the tour, we only really, I mean, we took our guitar and a shitload of leads and, and all that stuff. Um, and we, me and Darcy took our Kemper profile amps, um, as hand luggage which is pretty convenient. You've got all your sound um, dialed up on there and then you just, well, we, we plug into the cabs that were provided at every venue um, through power amps and stuff. Um, but yeah, if you if you were smart enough, you could um, just run them straight through front of house as well. If that's your style, um, but it makes touring very easy for a guitarist, got to say. Um, and But yeah, taking them as hand luggage, what I get sick of, if airports aren't bad enough and having to go through customs all the time, like, you know, you go through the, where they scan all your stuff, your hand luggage, and um, you've always got to take your laptop out and everything out of your pockets. The Kemper, the people at the airport lose their shit over that. It must look like explosives or something, and it just, it comes up on their screen. And So yeah, make sure you take that out of your bag every time and let it scan through by itself. Otherwise, they make you undo all your stuff and go through everything. It's pretty painful. Yeah, and just say music here. Uh, Music here, music, guitar. For guitar, for guitar. Anything. Oh, but then the problem is if you don't have visas or something, you don't really want to be letting it slip that, I don't know, mm. what, what you're doing. So yeah, if true. you don't have visas, don't make a scene and tell them, oh, we're playing gigs over there. Yeah, be careful, you're just meeting some friends and jamming, that's all. Maybe recording, mm-hmm. maybe giving them some gifts of your band's T-shirts that that's why you have them with you. Tip two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, my, my sound on stage at Seoul was not too bad. There was heaps of um, reverb or something, which was throwing me off a little bit. Yeah. But guy kept putting was... a delay throw on the vocals. It was pissing me off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pissing me off. But um, stage was big. It was cool. Had the wireless walking around like nobody's business. Your pedal did fuck up. Mm. Yeah. Worked for Soundcheck and then first gig didn't work and for the rest of the tour didn't work. So switching between distortion and clean tone was a pain in the a-hole having to walk back and forth from my amp a lot of the time. Pretty shit. Agree. Anyway, show went pretty good. I think I was talking too fast between songs, trying to like do Aussie banter like I would over here. But people there that can't speak English as it is struggle to hear me. So I learned that pretty quick and started slowing down at the other shows. And also we figured out that across all Asian countries, they're so polite that when you finish a song, there is no talking. <laughs> so you could hear breathing coming from on stage when you were in the crowd because yeah. it was so quiet and everyone's so polite um very different to australia you'd finish a song and everyone will clap for about 10 seconds and then it's quiet you could be watching metallica and i reckon the crowds would just be like silence they don't talk to the person next to them they just watch in awe and see what's going on and, and yeah are polite they say sorry for everything instead of thanks or whatever sorry 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 yeah and while the music's going they mosh and all that stuff but yeah as soon as it stops they stop 
Um, but yeah, it was awesome to see the other bands play that night as well. I was very impressed by um, Dark Mirror and Ethereal Sin and Catamania, of course. And the local bands were cool as well. That Toka Bay band. That guy had the metal horns on both hands for the whole set, the singer. Yeah, permanent metal Holding horns. Holding the microphone with metal horns. <laughs> pretty good. Uh, anyway, so first gig, pretty good. Um, we're very success in Asian terms. Then. And then we left um, South Korea, which was a bit of a shame. I was going to miss the cheap-ass street food that we were getting. Those like chicken sticks for $1. Mm-hmm. Eggs cracked onto pancake mixture on a barbecue for $1. Yeah, etc. But it wasn't all bad because we got a flight with Japan Airlines and it was off the chain. Yeah, and that was to Tokyo. Um, and it was there that um, the guys had organised for a couple of um, vans to pick all the bands up and all the gear, which was awesome. Get to the airport, get on a van, get to venue. Um, but yeah, we got to the venue. It must have been midday or something or a bit earlier. Um but the hotels that they'd booked were like half an hour away. And by the time we could actually load in and sound check and all that, it was getting pretty late, like three or after, and doors were at five or six. Got in taxis to um to the hotel, which was pretty awesome. They had like beds on the floor <laughs> and funny stuff. But we had all of 20 minutes at the hotel before we had to get back in a cab and go back to the venue again. Mm. Just enough time to wash our butts. Yeah, after um, two hours then, sleep. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and taxi back to the venue took an hour in peak hour traffic. So we got back and doors had already opened. Had to set up merch and, and whatnot. Um, that was at uh, Cyclone in Shibuya. And that gig was pretty awesome, I reckon. We were sort of more on fire that night after a warm-up. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that was cool. Uh, I can't really remember what happened apart from playing a gig. Seeing a few Aussies in the crowd was cool. Mm-hmm. Man, I'd actually had a bit of a nightmare that gig with just like stuff not working. Yeah. Power adapter. I thought I had the right ones for Japan. It turns out they were different. Um, Could not find something. American adapters in Japan. (laughs) Tip four. Yeah. Tip tip five. (laughs) Don't slip over and fall down the stairs while you're on stage in front of a crowd. Yeah. Lucky I was having fun on stage. Otherwise, I would just about have lost it. Like, yeah, wearing thongs on stage and then getting beer on the floor and then slipping over it downstairs when trying to change between clean and distortion on my amp and tune because I was sweating so bad. My strings kept going out of tune. (laughs) (laughs) But somehow that set all worked out and went down pretty well. Um, Tip five, if um, if you haven't sold as much merch as you would like during a gig, make sure as the gig finishes, you're standing out there near the exit where people leave the venue holding your shirts up and your CDs up and offering deals and, and that sort of shit because you will sell a lot more stuff um, and people get photos with you and get you to sign stuff and whatever. We had a, a guy who could write Japanese, so he helped us out to write a sign to stick on my shirt that said, uh, buy our stuff, you will get free hugs and a digital dick, which is apparently very funny in Japan, whatever that means. Um, and yeah, do deals. I think we said, is it 1000 fucking yen or 10,000, whatever it was. Something. It's like 10, 10 bucks for a shirt, which is pretty cheap. And then, so people just quickly, you know, give over their, their leftover cash and grab a shirt on the run. Then we had a bit of a sleep. Oh no. What did we do? We went to, um, uh, after party, which was, I think like a izakaya or something that they have in Japan where it's like all you can drink for 10 bucks a person. But I think their idea of all you can drink is different to what our idea is. 
Um, but they give you like this little private room. So um, us and Ethereal and Dark Mirror sat in this room and got a few beers. And they were ordering heaps of food that we didn't have to pay for, which is fucking nice of them as well. Hello. Yeah, got quite a few beers. Got a bit bit mag. Jim fell asleep at the table, which was pretty good. They also have um, smoking allowed indoors. And so the whole yeah. thing was dairy factory and we all reeked <laughs> of fucking ciggies. Uh, price you got to pay. I don't know. Because they're like two bucks a packet over there. Every person smokes. Mm. You tell them it's 25 bucks a pack in Australia. And like, <laughs> <laughs> um, <yeah. coughs> cool. Anyway, got a few hours sleep and then straight back at it again onto a train to Osaka for the next show. Was that a bullet train? I think it was. I couldn't even tell. Looks like one. It took a good four hours to get there. Mm. Um, so again, yeah, rock up at the Osaka train station. Probably a 15-minute walk with our gear, which is fine. Get some food and shit. Do it again. Tip six, uh, attach wheels from Bunnings to your guitar case. <laughs> Except my guitar case has shat itself now. It's the piece of shit that shat itself. One of the wheels has come off. All the hinges are unaligned. I have to like, pretty much tape it to shut it. But yeah, w- put wheels on your case so you don't have to carry it everywhere. Wheel it. Wheels on everything. Wheelie? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Saka, pretty cool. A few less people, not as big as the Tokyo show, but cool venue. Uh, met some met some cool people. Lots of hot Japanese sluzzers around that look good. I have yellow fever, and uh, yeah, that was it. Got to watch the other bands again, which is cool. Third show, it was the last one with those bands um, before we parted ways. Uh, after the gig, we had that um, after, after party. party at the Metal Bar, whatever it was called. Midian's. Midian, that's it. Free drinks for everyone. And as they go around and take orders, like beer, beer, beer. Jesse doesn't drink beer. So the guy's like, oh, you can have a cocktail if you want. She's like, oh, okay, maybe a vodka cocktail. Okay, yeah, no, no problem, no problem. Come back with a bottle of Smirnoff vodka as the cocktail. She's like, what am I going to do with this? I can't just drink a whole bottle. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Don't be sorry. Just get us some juice and we'll drink all of it. It's awesome. Octopus balls and Oh, they were awesome, man. um, Fuck, I don't even remember what else. Yeah. Heaps of stuff. spoiled all over the place. Then the accommodation that night was not even in Osaka. It was in Kyoto, which required a one-hour taxi, $200. Times two. That they covered. I think three, actually. Well, two for us. Two for us. Mm. Canamania. Yeah. So anyway, everyone got back to the hotel. Kyoto must have been two, three o'clock. Oh, later, probably. Five. A <laughs> um, bit of sleep. And then... Yeah, we had day off, a bit of sightseeing around Kyoto. Pretty cool. Them guys showing us around. Had to say our goodbyes, which was quite sad. Me and Dicey checked out some all-you-can-come bars. <laughs> Factories. <laughs> all-you-can-come blowjob factory. Did not partake, but had a, a laugh. Yeah, and then we flew off um, ourselves to Penang, where our next show was, um, with our good friends Leon and his band Dissectomy. Another band called Chakarawala, something like that. Yeah. Uh, we had a few, a few days off in Penang. It was hot as all buggery. Um, but we had a yeah, pretty cool apartment that we booked uh, with a washing machine. Could finally wash our clothes. And, uh, yeah, just cook some food on the cheap. Sleep a lot in the aircon. Mm. Go in the pool. Um, yes, yeah, so that was pretty nice. A few days off before a gidge. So uh, Leon took us out to... Uh, Gurney Street markets, got us some food and 
some traditional stuff, some duck's tongue and stuff like that. And then yeah, the show there at Soundmaker Studio, I gotta say, was probably almost my favourite gig of the tour. Is that right? Why? The least amount of people. I don't know if there was maybe eighty or less. Um, but it just had this wicked vibe. We were headlining, so there was no rush to finish. We ended up playing for like maybe an hour and a half more. Um, and the people just really got into it big time. Um, so lots of moshing and running around and getting on stage and being dickheads. It's really cool. Um, there was a guy headbanging like a seed pecker on <sighs> speed. <laughs> There's people that had come from, cause they, they don't get so many metal gigs there, um, with international bands anyway. There were people that were driving sort of from Kuala Lumpur and other cities a few hours away and that sort of thing. So I thought that was really cool. And also, um, the house kit was pretty shocking and, um, the stool was a, like a little small seat that was just a, (laughs) just a, a literal stool, not an adjustable one. So I was sitting super low. It was weird. Same thing, house kit, house symbols, all that. And no front of house. So the mix was done via just a guy standing out the front, listening to everything. And he had a an app or something on his was it an iPad or something and he, he could control whatever he had there from from his phone thing. He had a PA, but what was he running through the PA? Just the vocals. Oh, I don't know. I don't know, man. It, was, it must have been. It must have been. It was strange. Keyboards, but, I guess. No no no. Mm. Keyboards just plugged into a keyboard amp. Oh an amp, yeah, of course. And um oh. mm. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy gig, but cool. It actually was like good on stage. We were playing songs that we hadn't even jammed uh, at the end. People sort of say more, one more song or whatever. Then after that, <coughs> so many photos. Mm. I've never had to take that many photos. I was getting pretty angry after a while. Yeah. Probably shouldn't. It was hard to get out of there. But yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, back on a plane. No sleep again. Via KL to Bali for Fanatic Festival. Uh, rocked up. They um, resumed guys, picked us up from the airport. Very nice of them. Took us to a transit hotel that they arranged for us, which was in Dempasar right next to the venue, which is pretty sweet. Had a shower and a lie down in some AIDS-infested areas. Uh, and, yeah, headed over to the festival. Um, and, yeah, we played a gig to about 4,000-plus people. I think it was $2.00 for a ticket pre-order or $2.50 at the gate. So no wonder they get so many people there. But that was um, pretty surreal playing in front of that many people. Very rushed to get on with the five-minute changeovers again. Yeah, yeah, didn't really have a clear, like a sound guy or a stage manager or anything like that. So we just sort of were standing there and like... No mics set up at the front. Yeah. And amps not working. The PA didn't even get turned on until about 30 seconds into our first song. You just heard it kick yeah. in. Um, yeah, weird. So, yeah, that was very strange. Uh, yeah, um, pretty frustrating. But nonetheless, you can see a whole sea of people and they sort of doing circle pits and running around and stuff, which is cool to see. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good show. Um, mm. You know, considering we were all pretty much dead by that point, it was, um, <laughs> yeah, it went well. Coming from having already done Hammersonic before, we sort of figured out that festival on-stage sound is always going to be weird and bad and not like a club show where everyone's so close to you, you get a bit of a vibe at a festival you struggling to hear yourself mm. most of the time so i mean the only way around that is probably by getting personal in-ear monitors and mixes and stuff but that's just forget about it 
so yeah even though they're huge crazy looking shows in the photos it's they're often the most challenging and, and awkward shows to play um yeah just because of that lack of uh what is it it's hard to f- vibe off people when because you, you can't really hear anyone I could hear some people down the front and they were actually yelling out our song names and stuff, which was cool. They're like, play this, play this. Oh, no, no, Most no. I mean, we weren't playing. I mean, each of us on stage. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely gets a bit like that. And you, you know, totally. you hit a, hit a kick drum and you can't hear it because there's absolutely no walls in front of you for the mm-hmm. waves to bounce back off. So you, it's so bizarre. Yeah. And they sort of, if, cause you don't have any sort of sound check or line check or anything and they just sort of put whatever you're playing into your own, um, fallback. So like I can just hear so much vocals of myself and that's all I can hear. Just me singing. Mm. Um, and cause I've got the wireless in some walking across the stage and I can hear gyms. It's just like so bass heavy. And then over the other side, you can just hear Jesse's keys. And I'm like, fuck, everyone's going to be pissed off at this sound. And we're going to get off stage and everyone's going to be pissed off. The night will be ruined. But (laughs) that's life. You just got to deal with it and try and enjoy it as best you can. It's not every day you get to do that stuff. And trust that everyone's following the same thing, hopefully. Definitely. And you just got to sort of trust the sound guy. I mean, if there's a festival that size with a massive stage, um, surely the sound guy knows what he's doing. Um, and you know, yeah, people's reactions in the crowd, you just assume that it must sound all right if they're having a good time. Mm. Um, so yeah, good stuff. End yeah. of tour. Then we had a few days off in Bali to chillax. It's pretty nice. Me, Jim and Jesse went for a massage and, um, just this tiny little room, five bucks for an hour. So we're like, yeah, sure. Why not go in real small, all lying next to each other with just a thin, layer of curtain between us three hot chicks come in to do the massaging and they're all yapping away in in indonesian and keep opening up the curtains and we're like looking at each other with no clothes on and shit like what is going on in here and as we turn over they start massaging the chest and it just gets a bit awkward and weird and then uh yeah i felt something on my special spot open my eyes and there's two little titties right above my face I'm like, oh, and then you're like, oh, you want, you want happy, you want banana massage? Like, no, 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 no. And you say no, and they think you're bartering with them, so they can like start lowering the price. Like, no, no, we can't do it. There's people right next to us. My friend is here. They're like, oh, is she your sister? No, no, it's just weird. Oh, and then they'll swap girls. Me and Jim's chick swapped, thinking that maybe they didn't, we didn't like each girl, and then still say no. And then, uh, yeah, went out. Paid our five bucks on our way. Told someone else about it, one of our friends, and then they went back there the next day and enjoyed the uh, services that they provided. Tour over, back to work. What did you learn from the whole thing that we haven't already mentioned and that perhaps you didn't anticipate or will, you know, tip seven, tip eight, tip nine for next time? (laughs) I just think think the most awesome thing was, um, because I I was seriously looking into some of the the buy-on opportunities um, previously, and was pretty tempted to just spend some money and, and get over there and just, just do a tour because I've just heard it's pretty awesome over there, and which it was. People are just so so generous and, and help you out and really treat you really nice. Um, but, yeah, I'm just pretty glad we held it out and just to sort of speak to people over the internet and try and arrange things where you don't have to spend millions of dollars trying to get over there. By millions, I mean thousands. Um, and then just being able to speak to people at each show and meet 
people that know promoters in different com- countries and things. So next time we do it, I think we could go to double the amount of countries, probably add another four or five countries on the list just from people that we've met over there. Um, so it's just one of those things. You just got to bide your time and know what is best for your band and then just make the most of it when the opportunity comes around. Um, and just, yeah, always be looking forward, thinking about how you can improve next time and yeah, what you can do to, to make an even better tour. It's just a slow thing. Yeah. You can't go over there expecting to be, um, you know, the biggest, most popular Slayer ever. You just, you, you know, you're going over there as a, a relatively unknown band. Um, so it's all about building building your fan base, being nice to people, and um, yeah, next time you go, it'll be bigger, and next time it'll be bigger, and eventually you'll be headlining stuff yourselves, and you know, it might might pay for it itself eventually. I think we've done it pretty well. We've saved a fair bit of money from, you know, playing gigs in Perth and selling merch and that sort of thing. Um, and we, we did it where we all sort of chipped in for half the cost of flights. So essentially you're getting a pretty cheap holiday and get to play awesome shows, which is cool. Um, so when you, when you do see some Perth bands might often ask for a lot of money to play a gig and you're like, oh, it's just a gig in Perth, you don't deserve that money. I think you don't want to sell yourself short. You need to be looking forward and saving up your money and using it on a worthwhile thing, such as a tour internationally. One of the things too, man, is that in Tokyo, didn't Black Dahlia Murder and two other American metal bands play a gig there at Cyclones? Am I crazy? But that venue is a very small size. So if you were, let's say, buying onto that tour and you played in that venue with those big bands, you know, what is there? 150, 200 people max in there. Like are Bion's always giant shows or are they often just small club shows? Like why not roll the dice and try and book with like a more established local band from that area and get possibly a hundred people rather than mm-hmm. being an extra thousand dollars, $2,000 per show out of pocket to play to only marginally more people. It's a good point. Um, I mean, even on ours, like, Catamania, obviously, are an established band, but they're not, you know, they're no Black Dahlia Murder or any really super popular band. Um, and, I mean, even that Tokyo show, for example, was you couldn't fit any more people in there. Uh, maybe there was 250 absolute maximum. Um, and just that was with people all the way out the corridor, not really even being able to see the stage, you couldn't fit more people in. Um, and I know that venue is one of the most popular ones for metal gigs in Tokyo including internationally touring bands like Black Dahlia, for example. So, I mean, obviously it'll look good if you have your band's logo on a poster sharing it with someone like that, but essentially you can be playing to the same amount of people regardless. So, yeah, like you say, almost might be better teeing up your stuff with local bands over there and pull maybe just a little bit less, but still, you know, do a good job and not not pay out of your ass for it. Yeah, and I think the way it worked is that our total cost as a band for the whole two-week trip came in at under the price with, I mean, that's flights, accommodation, um, any other sort of miscellaneous expenses in between, all that stuff, for less than the price of just the buy-on that we were offered through Japan previously. Mm -hmm. Which then you'd, on top of that, still have to pay the same thing that we did for our tour. So, yeah, it's really, it's it's really put it into perspective for me, like actually going and doing it ourselves that yeah these there's no way man. we could have afforded something i mean if we were spending an additional no. 10 grand or something on top of what we already spent 
that's crazy because we'll, we'll come back here completely in debt and not being able to do any other tours again until we save up more money which will take ages and that includes like not even australian tours if we mm. were that much out of pocket so i think the the big thing that came out of it especially from dicey was just like just don't rush like there's all these opportunities available and i think the ones that are getting caught out are the ones who are rushing into it a bit much and just you know they see an opportunity for what they think is a huge promo boost um just takes a you know a digit and a couple of zeros to get there and then they jump on it but i mean god what's the point if you're unestablished where you are and unestablished where you're going like i don't really get it yeah unless you got some disposable money that you can just throw it at and just want to go over there for a bit of fun and exp- you know experience some stuff cool like it's going to be fun but man yeah just got to be clever about it i think on that note as well uh in terms of like yeah i mean being wanting it to be promotion for your band and extra exposure and stuff you have to make sure that you really maximize the opportunity of the new fans over there it's one thing to play to people and they all like you and then they walk out the door and forget who you were um so just yeah make sure you're sort of hanging around and mingling with people they love getting photos over there so make sure you get photos with them sign their cds give them free stickers or magnets or whatever you have um and then use the internet to your advantage direct them to your merch store try and get their email address somehow that sort of thing and then if you have a collection of email addresses from over there you send um uh yeah bulk mail outs to people and tell them what you're up to and that sort of thing even before you go if you have some some emails from people in that country then you want to be sending them stuff telling them about your gigs obviously and what merch you got and stuff um also obviously facebook um yeah you don't want to just let your internet pages go quiet while you're on tour you want to be posting all the time make yourselves look awesome um you know before the gig you you post yeah the, the poster up playing tonight in such and such if there's an event page, you go and post stuff on there. You post your YouTube links or your songs or whatever. Um, and the more sort of interaction you're getting, which I was learning as well, like while we were away, we were getting a lot of likes and, and things on our pictures, uh, a lot more than what we'd get if we we're just posting stuff at home. Um, and the more interaction you get, the more Facebook's algorithms let your stuff go to the top of, of feeds and things. For example, if you look at like the people talking about this part, if uh, if on your band page it tell you how many likes you've got, if you click on that, um, it'll say such and such people talking about this. So it's one thing to have like 20,000 likes on Facebook, but if no one's interacting, then your stuff is just going to go to the bottom of people's feeds and they're not going to see it. So at one point, I think we're up to like 2,000 people talking about this, which for us is really good. And then I was finding the more you would post stuff, the more likes you would get it's just like a domino effect and just what you post as well um if you sort of upload a photo directly to facebook and share it it stays up it, it and yeah facebook likes it if you link it through instagram facebook likes it because they own instagram but if you start posting stuff like even youtube links i find we're not getting as much um action because it's not owned by them i guess mm. yeah just that sort of stuff and then you know Obviously, if people are following you on Facebook from over there, then they'll remember you. You keep reminding them, keep posting stuff. They'll say, oh, that band, that band. They won't forget you and you won't fall into oblivion straight after. That's my rhyme and that's what I said. Awesome, man. Um, I guess that's a pretty good place to finish it up. Mm -hmm. Any final things before we F off? How about just one more thing Mm -hmm. that we like to do each episode? 
album of the week. What about album of the tour? What did you listen oh. to most while we were away? <laughs> Probably, yeah, Ahab the Giant. Just It's been the only music I've listened to for the last two months, <laughs> I think. I tried listening to Russian Circles, actually. Any good? I like things about it, but are also not quite up my alley. But interesting mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Pretty much to say, have I had nothing new really to listen to? I had a lot of podcasts and stuff to keep my mind off um, people around me while I was trying to sleep, but I barely actually like resorted to iPod and stuff like that during the tour because we were just constantly full on. And if I got a chance, I would just sleep. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, it was really crazy. How about yourself? Well, yeah, the same. Like I only really would put the headphones in at night trying to sleep or on the plane or whatever when I'm trying to sleep. So want chilled out stuff. I was listening to something not metal, but Portishead, their self-titled album that I like a lot. That's right. Chick singing's pretty, pretty crazy. Puts you in a trance. Yeah, interesting. So I did like that. <clears throat> but now that I'm back, I'm most anticipating the new At the Gates album. Oh yeah. Uh, and I did illegally download a leaked version yesterday. Not that I should be admitting that, but it sounds pretty good. I did pre-order it as well. If that makes me a better person. With a, with a shirt package. Oh, yeah? Mm. I'm actually waiting on um, Distant Tomb pre-order. Oh, you've ordered it? Yeah. I feel real bad for not doing that. I might do that right after this podge. Yeah, it was a while ago, so, you know, mm-hmm. 10 bucks. What are you going to do? For those yet to hear the Jim. new Distant Tomb album, Misery, listen to it. Features Jim from Claim of Throne on bass. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's one of the most promising real death slam type albums you'll hear in a long time all right well we'll get out of your hair thanks for tuning in and um yeah just a reminder our next gig in perth and our last for the year is 7th of november at the civic hotel for the Stormrider compilation city launch featuring ourselves silent night cold fate tempest rising and drown the faith um yeah dolls will be around eight pretty cheap 10 bucks or something and get yourself a free compilation cd and if you're yet to hear the new silent night ep make sure you go to their facebook you can uh hear their halloween cover even which is pretty ripping cool sounds Don't good miss out. yeah and uh we'll be back hopefully next week uh and we'll keep these a bit more regular again don't hesitate to go to claimthrone.net and hover over the right hand side to speak pipe record us a question or a thought or a comment on anything and we'll play it on the show we do have a few backlogged that um we'll have out real soon as well um but yeah it's uh great to be back thor before <laughs> yeah i might uh, get my friend john ryan to ask a question because he had a oh, bunch yeah. for me yesterday and I thought that maybe you'd be able to help out. So we might do that publicly. Oh, yeah. That sounds awesome. Hmm. And uh, we do have another Perth show to be announced soon um, for next year. So listen out for that one as well. And um, and a big tour announcement coming in the coming weeks uh, for another international trip. I'm Cabba. I'm Ash. <laughs> Where Claim the Throne. Claim the Throne.